Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Inside the Board Study Smarter series dedicated to helping you learn to think like a question writer so you can study smarter, not harder, and succeed on your exam. Hey everyone, it's Patrick here. This is an episode from one of the friends of ITB, Spoonful of Sugar. So you can go to spoonfulofsugar.org to learn more about the Spoonful of Sugar podcast, which is a podcast for medical students by medical students. Each episode is hosted by a third or fourth year medical student who will review medical topics in bite-sized digestible pieces and integrate them across all different subjects. So they ask a lot of questions throughout the episodes to keep listeners engaged and break things down so they're easy to understand. And so like us, you have something to take with you to the exam center on test day. If you like this podcast, we love good ratings and reviews. They're certainly helpful for us in getting the word out. And, you know, it's always nice to get a word of encouragement. So enjoy. Welcome back to Spoonful of Sugar. Today's episode will be hosted by Lohit Belagapudi, a fourth-year medical student at Thomas Jefferson University. He's going into neurosurgery, and today's episode will be about stroke. Hope you enjoy. Hey, future doctors. Thanks for tuning in to Spoonful of Sugar, a podcast made for medical students by medical students to help the medicine go down. My name is Lohit Velgabudi. I'm a fourth year student at Thomas Jefferson University, and I'll be your host today. So our topic of today is stroke. It's one of the most highly tested diseases in neurology, but I'll break it down into manageable chunks and show you how you can systematically approach any stroke question on the exam. We'll do this in a question and answer format, so feel free to pause at any time to think about it yourself. So starting off with stroke, what are the two major types of stroke? That's right, if you're thinking ischemic and hemorrhagic stroke, then you're on the right track. So ischemic stroke is definitely the most common type of stroke compared to hemorrhagic. And can you tell me what the three major causes or etiologies of ischemic stroke are? So the three major causes are thrombotic, which means that it's due to clot forming uh, in the site of infarction uh, over usually an atherosclerotic plaque. Embolic, which means it's an embolus from another part of the body, uh, which obstructs the target vessel. 
um, something like atrial fibrillation or a DVT through a, a patent foramen of value, or hypoxic, which is due to hypoperfusion, um, which means just a general lack of blood flow. Um, things that can cause this are like, for example, it's common during um, heart-lung bypass or um, hypotension during surgery, um, where a lower rate of blood flow can affect these, these regions, these watershed regions, which I'll go over later. So ischemic stroke is caused by an acute blockage of the vessel. Um, your brain definitely needs blood all the time. It's the biggest consumer of oxygen in the body per, per unit. So any disruption of blood flow to the brain can cause uh, usually irreversible damage um, due to liquefactive necrosis. So another thing that you want to know about when you're thinking about stroke is what the difference between an ischemic stroke and a transient ischemic attack. Um, they look very, they can look very similar in terms of the clinical symptoms. The way to distinguish uh, an ischemic stroke and a transient ischemic attack, can you tell me what the, what the difference between the two is? So a transient ischemic attack is a brief and reversible episode of neurological dysfunction. Um, usually less than 15 minutes, but the cutoff is 24 hours. If, if the neurological dysfunction is remaining after 24 hours, then you want to consider it a stroke rather than a transient ischemic attack. The other type of stroke is hemorrhagic stroke, which is rather than being due to a blockage of blood flow, is due to bleeding in the brain. Um, the, the purpose of the blood-brain barrier is to keep the brain parenchyma and blood from contacting uh, each other directly. Uh, blood products can actually be toxic to the brain in general, so any blood in the brain where it's not supposed to be can cause hemorrhagic stroke and destruction of brain tissue. So one of the um, kind of step one testable topics for stroke is histological features that you see in stroke. And, and these vary, again, based on the time since the ischemic event. Um, so this is a very similar uh, kind of pathophysiology to uh, myocardial infarctions. Uh, it's the same thing, lack of blood flow causing death of, neuro, uh, death of cells. So um, can you tell me what the initial histological findings from 12 to 24 hours would be? That's right. If you said red neurons, then you're right. Um, so a red neuron is basically when you have a neuron with a pycnotic nucleus, so a broken up nucleus, and eosinophilic cytoplasm. So it's very rare that you will be asked to identify this on an exam, but if you can remember eosinophilic cytoplasm um, with pycnotic nuclei, then you'll, then you'll be on the right track. From 24 to 72 hours, what do you get? That's right, you get death of the cells, so necrosis, liquefactive necrosis, and then you also get neutrophils, which are the initial immune response to the uh, cell death that you see in, in stroke. From three to five days, what type of cells are most commonly present uh, in brain parenchyma? The answer is macrophages. Um, so in the brain, macrophages have a special name, which is microglia. So microglia are present in the brain at, at pretty much all times, but you'll see these most commonly from three to five days after a stroke, cleaning up any uh, debris of necrosis. From one to two weeks after a stroke, what type of histological features do you see? So this is the point at which you'll start to see healing of the brain tissue, 
with that comes vascular proliferation, so new blood cells being made, and then reactive gliosis. So what that means is the cells that are not neurons, so non-neuronal cells in the brain, things like microglia, astrocytes, etc., are going to form this scar tissue in the brain called glial tissue um, because they're made from these glial cells, uh, like, like astrocytes and microglia, etc. Uh, neurons can't actually regenerate, uh, and if they do in some cases, uh, in some areas of the body, they regenerate very, very slowly. So you won't see any new neuronal growth. You might see existing neurons creating new synapses, but you won't see any new neurons being made. So what happens is this reactive gliosis instead occurs, the scar tissue in the brain. And then after two weeks, this reactive gliosis kind of solidifies into a glial scar. Um, so those are the histological features that you see uh, on stroke. Um, and again, each of those kind of buzzwords um, and knowing the time periods that you see each of those uh, histological buzzwords is extremely important for uh, answering any questions based on stroke histology. So going back to um, some neuroanatomy, um, understanding stroke syndromes in a way that's <coughs> Sorry, understanding stroke syndromes in a way that's easy to understand and doesn't require you to uh, straight up memorize every single stroke syndrome out there is really based on having a strong uh, sense of neuroanatomy. So you can tell which vessel is infected, which brain region does that vessel supply, and thus which brain region is experiencing damage from the stroke, and then what does that brain region do so that you can tell what type of deficits somebody with that stroke syndrome will have. So in order for us to kind of get a handle on what uh, the basic neuroanatomy that we need to know, you have to start with the brain vasculature, right? So the main structure of the brain vasculature, can anyone tell me what, what the main structure is? That's right, it's the circle of Willis. So the circle of Willis is this uh, arrangement of vessels in the brain um, that kind of form a a circle um, between the what's called the posterior circulation, so coming from the vertebral artery the, into the basilar artery and supplying the cerebellum, and then connecting with what's the anterior circulation, which comes from the internal carotid artery mostly. Um, and those two connect uh, through the communicating arteries, and that forms the circle of Willis. And the purpose of that, again, is to have a lot of collateral uh, circulation in case there's a blockage in any of these uh, vessels. Uh, that's the evolutionary kind of uh, reason to have this type of this type of arrangement of vessels in the brain. So when you're talking about the main vessels that you want to think of from the circuit Lewis that are affected by stroke, there are three main cerebral vessels that you want to know. That's the anterior cerebral artery, which comes off and supplies the the uh, kind of front of the brain as well as the uh, parietal lobe of the brain, um, so the middle of the, the hemispheres. And then you have the middle cerebral artery, which supplies the uh, kind of lateral aspects of the brain, so the temporal lobe and the um, lateral frontal lobe. And then the posterior cerebral artery, which mainly uh, uh, supplies the kind of inferior temporal lobe as well as the occipital lobe, right? So, and then we also have the supply to the cerebellum. Can anyone tell me what the main vessels that supply the cerebellum are? So they all have cerebellum in their name. So you have the posterior inferior cerebellar artery, 
and the anterior inferior cerebellar artery. Both of those things come off the vertebral artery uh, in the posterior circulation. And then you also have the superior cerebellar artery, which comes off of the basilar artery. The basilar artery is formed again from the two vertebral arteries joining together um, and supplies the mostly the brain stem. So this will, this will all kind of become relevant when we talk when we start talking about stroke syndromes. So when you're kind of thinking about a stroke question, um, the general approach I want you to take is to start thinking what is this person going through in terms of their neurological dysfunction? Which areas of the brain does their neurological dysfunction map to? And then what vessels supply that area of the brain? And then you'll know what type of stroke syndrome or what um, kind of what named vessels are being involved in this uh, in, in, in the stroke question, right? So that's, that's the general approach to going through a stroke question. Um, so then we're going to start going through some stroke localization questions, um, or sorry, some stroke localization syndromes. Um, some of these are named syndromes you want to know, as well as uh, some of the more common syndromes you want to be able to recognize in a clinical question, so you don't have to go through the entire process every single time. But know that that type of process does work for any stroke question that you'll encounter, all right? So we'll start our conversation on stroke localization by going through anterior circulation strokes. They're, they're more common than posterior circulation strokes. Um, doesn't mean they'll be asked more, but uh, knowing anterior circulation strokes is important, uh, both on, on the step exam as well as on the boards. So the most common form of anterior circulation stroke, can anyone tell me what vessel is involved there? That's right, it's the middle cerebral artery. So MCA stroke is the most common form of anterior circulation stroke, right? And again, recall from what I just told you about the circle of Willis, what areas does the MCA feed? So it feeds the both the lateral temporal lobe, the lateral portions of the frontal lobe, right? So with an MCA stroke, if you recall the kind of homunculus uh, figure that you might have seen about where the uh, sensory and motor functions of the brain kind of originate in terms of the cortical surface. With an MCA stroke, what is the main um, symptom that you'll see in terms of the um, presentation? So if you said contralateral paralysis and sensory loss, then that's the right answer. So if you think about the homunculus, the lateral portions of the cortex, the lateral temporal lobe and the lateral frontal lobe will supply the uh, upper limb and the face area, so the upper area of the body. So with an MCA stroke, you'll see a contralateral loss of sensation and paralysis because you'll affect both the somatosensory cortex and the motor cortex, right? So if you see like right-sided sensory loss and motor loss, then I want you to think left-sided MCA stroke because again, those fibers cross, right? So what is a special symptom that you'll see on a left-sided MCA stroke? So the answer is aphasia, right? Because most commonly the left side of the brain is the dominant side of the dominant speech center of the brain. Um, so when that area is infarcted, that's when you get aphasia. Though that can take both two different forms. It can take the form of Broca's aphasia, which is if the lateral frontal lobe is involved, or Wernicke's aphasia, which is when the, uh, the lateral uh, posterior temporal lobe is involved. Um, 
broker's aphasia really is this uh, kind of hesitancy of speech. Uh, people can't try to get the words out. They really can't get the words out. It seems like they know what they're saying and they know and they know what you're saying, but they really can't get the words that they need to out. Whereas Wernicke's aphasia is the more co- is it's sometimes called what's word salad. Um, people can speak. It seems like they can understand you, but everything you're saying makes no sense. They're just saying words that have no meaning in relation to each other. It's just gibberish, but they're uh, speaking very fluently, right? Now, what's the most common symptom if you have a non-dominant hemisphere um, MCS stroke? So the answer is hemineglect, which means neglect of one side of your of, of your world, basically. Um, so if we're talking about most commonly, the non-dominant side will be on the right side, which means that you'll have hemineglect of your left-sided vision, right? So um, another symptom that can, you can rarely see is um, this, again, because you have the Myers loops going through the temporal lobe, you can sometimes see this uh, right superior quadrant visual field deficit in a left-sided uh, stroke because of uh, the Myers loops optical fibers that pass through the temporal lobe uh, if you have if you have a stroke in that region, right? So that's an MCS stroke. Uh, the second most common form of uh, an anterior circulation stroke is an ACA stroke, so anterior cerebral artery stroke. Again, if we think back to what the ACA supplies, what symptoms will you see in an ACA stroke? So the answer is very similar to an MCA stroke. You again see this contralateral paralysis and sensory loss, right? Both the motor and sensory cortex cortices are involved, but because of the homunculus, you'll see that the feet and the lower limbs will be where the ACA supplies. So you see this again, contralateral paralysis and sensory loss in the lower limbs, all right? And the third uh, kind of anterior circulation stroke that you should know um, is the lenticulostriate artery. So these, these are arteries that come off of the uh, kind of the first branch of the MCA. Um, and they supply the striatum and the internal capsule. Um, so knowing what the striatum and internal capsule do, can anyone tell me what are the most common symptoms that you see? So the most common symptoms that you see are, uh, as again, contralateral paralysis and sensory loss, but you won't see any of the cortical signs that I mentioned before. What do I mean by cortical signs? So things that are due to specific areas of the cortex that are lost. So the hemineglect, uh, the aphasia, or the visual field loss, you won't see any of those. You'll just see um, just pure motor and sensory loss. Um, this actually might, th there are two types of stroke syndromes. Um, that are due to damage to the thalamus, um, which you can see with a ventriculostriate artery stroke, and those are pure motor and pure sensory stroke. Uh, again, a pure motor is where uh, the person can touch and feel everything in that area of the body, say the foot, but they can't move it at all. And again, a pure sensory stroke is the exact opposite of, the, of that. Um, they can move the limb, but they can't um, feel anything in the limb. And that usually affects one whole side of the body. So both the right and the left, sorry, uh, the right leg and the right arm. Um, maybe you can't feel anything in both the right leg and the right arm. That's when I started to be thinking about a left-sided lenticular artery, uh, pure sensory stroke. Uh, 
And so if you can recognize a pure motor and pure sensory stroke, then that's really helpful in, in determining this kind of rare form of uh, anterior circulation artery. And the buzzword to know with lenticulostriate artery uh, strokes is that lacunar infarcts, which is kind of these um, infarct, infarcted regions of necrosis um, that are most commonly due to what type of atherosclerosis? So the answer is hyaline arterial sclerosis. Um, these are, this is kind of like damage to the vessels that's due to uncontrolled hypertension. Um, so those are the kind of pathophysiological buzzwords you want to keep in mind with lenticulostriate artery strokes. So let's move on to posterior circulation strokes, which in my opinion are the kind of more difficult to identify uh, strokes. Um, so let's talk about, first of all, the two major vessels that you'll see most commonly in posterior circulation strokes. And the, the two vessels which I think give most students uh, the, the most trouble do, uh, identifying. Um, let's talk about posterior inferior cerebellar, or pica, and the anterior inferior cerebellar artery, or ICA, uh, AICA. Um, so let's think about what the uh, pica and ICA both supply. So obviously they supply the cerebellum, um, different areas of the cerebellum. The pica will supply the inferior cerebellar peduncle, and the ica will supply the middle and inferior cerebellar peduncle, as well as certain aspects of the brainstem. So um, things like the vestibular nuclei, spinothalamic tracts, sympathetic fibers, all of these you'll see with both pica and ica strokes. So what types of clinical symptoms will you see from a pica and ica stroke? Uh, can anyone tell me what are the shared clinical symptoms that you'll see with a pica and ica stroke? So let's go through that in a kind of systematic way. So because both the pica and ica supply the cerebellum, you'll start to see posterior fossa signs or cerebellar signs. Things like vomiting, vertigo, and nystagmus. These are all due to dysfunction of the cerebellum, um, so lack of balance, lack of coordination, as well as vomiting, which is just due to compressive effect in the posterior fossa. Right? Um, they also supply the spinothalamic tracts. So what you'll see is this very interesting sensory distribution where you'll have, let's say we have a left-sided pica stroke, what type of sensory distribution will you see there? So you'll see a decrease in the pain and temperature because those are carried by the spinothalamic tract, remember? From the contralateral body, right, because those come up from the spinal cord, but then the ipsilateral face because those fibers are on the same side as the, as the pica that we're talking about. So a left-sided pica stroke, for example, will cause a decrease in pain and temperature on the right side of the body but the left side of the face, all right? So keep that in mind. Uh, one other thing that you'll see with both pica and, and ica strokes, because they both supply the sympathetic fibers, is what type of syndrome? Said Horner syndrome, then you're correct, right? So the uh, classic symptom that you'll see for Horner syndrome uh, is, is what triad makes up Horner syndrome? So if you said ptosis, meiosis and anhydrosis then you're you're right so th those are the three symptoms that you'll see in regards to horner syndrome and that's an ipsilateral horner syndrome due to lack of the sympathetic fibers on that side right 
again, and you'll also see the same vertigo, ataxia, and dysmetria that I also uh, that I also mentioned in the cerebellar section, right? So those symptoms are shared in the pica and ica stroke. So if you see any of those symptoms, then I want you to immediately think of one of those two vessels, all right? So the kind of difficulty comes in distinguishing a pica from an ica stroke. So let's go over a, a pica or posterior inferior cerebellar artery stroke first. So the special nucleus that the pica supplies is what? So that's the nucleus ambiguous, which is the nucleus that comes from cranial nerve 9, 10, and 11, right? So the main symptoms that you'll see with a nucleus ambiguous stroke is what? So those are tongue dysfunction, so dysphagia, hoarseness, and a lack of gag reflex, right? So those are very specific symptoms that come from a pica stroke, right? And the uh, kind of the um, mnemonic that I want you to use, this is from first aid, is don't pick a horse that can't eat, right? So don't pick a, so pica, horse or hoarseness that can't eat, so dysphagia, right? Don't pick a horse that can't eat. And what is the named syndrome that you get with a pica stroke? So that's a lateral medullary syndrome, right? Because it supplies the lateral medulla. And the name of that is a Wallenberg stroke. Uh, it's a very specific name that you just have to memorize. Um, but a Wallenberg stroke refers to a pica stroke, all right? So along the same line, let's talk about an ICA stroke. What is the special nucleus that the ICA supplies? So that is the facial nucleus for the facial nerve, right? So because and of that, let's think about what the facial nerve actually supplies and what type of clinical signs you'll get. So what type of clinical signs would you see from a facial nerve palsy? Right, so you see paralysis of the face on the same side, right? A decrease in lacrimation, a decrease in salivation because both those are, those are the two glands that are supplied by the facial nerve, as well as a decrease in taste from the anterior two-thirds of the tongue. It's a very specific thing to find on the words, but again, when you see that, know that you're looking at facial nerve dysfunction because the facial nerve receives taste signals from the anterior two-thirds of the tongue, right? So the mnemonic for this one is a lot easier. It's facial droop means ICA's pooped, right? So if you see facial droop, along with any of these signs, so decrease in lacrimation, salivation, or taste, then you want to think about facial nerve palsy and thus an ICA stroke, all right? Um, and the name syndrome for this is just a lateral pontine syndrome because that's what the ICA supplies, the lateral pons um, of the, of the um, brainstem, right? So there are a couple other vessels of the posterior circulation that you might also encounter. So one is the anterior spinal artery, which is kind of very uh, proximal uh, when you consider the, um, uh, the posterior circulation, right? So what structures does the anterior spinal artery uh, supply? So it supplies the corticospinal tracts, right? The medial lemniscus, right? As well as the caudal medulla. And what cranial nerve comes out of the caudal medulla? Right, it's the hypoglossal nerve, all right? So what clinical syndromes will you get from the anterior spinal artery stroke? So again, because it affects the corticospinal tract, you see contralateral paralysis of the upper and lower limbs, again, because both of those signals are already conjoined by this time. Uh, they reach the, the spinal cord, right? So contralateral paralysis, 
It supplies the medial lemniscus, so you see contralateral proprioception, right? As well as because it supplies the hypoglossal nerve, you see ipsilateral hypoglossal dysfunction, right? Because again, cranial nerves are on the same side, so the tongue will deviate ipsilaterally because the, the tongue on that side can't push against the force on the other side, right? So again, if the tongue is maybe deviated to the left, then you want to think toward a left-sided uh, hypoglossal nerve dysfunction, all right? And this is just called a medial medullary syndrome. Uh, there's no specific name that goes along with it, all right? So that's the anterior spinal artery. One really specific way that you can get anterior spinal artery strokes is during surgery. Uh, this might come up during a question vignette, um, but hypotension during surgery often causes anterior spinal artery strokes as well. All right. So moving down the posterior circulation, um, the biggest artery and the most scariest stroke syndrome you can get in the um, posterior circulation is definitely a basilar artery stroke. So let's think about what the basilar artery stroke supplies. Can anyone tell me? Right, so it's most of the most of the brainstem actually. So the pons, the medulla, and the lower midbrain uh, are all supplied by the basilar artery, as well as the corticospinal and corticobulbar tracts, and the ocular ocular cranial nerve nuclei. And if you remember the pathways of the ocular control, then you might remember the PPRF or the paramedian pontine reticular formation. So that's also supplied by the basilar artery in the brainstem, right? What is one structure that's not supplied by the basilar artery? So that's the reticular activating system, right? Which again, governs, governs consciousness, right? So based off of that, what is the syndrome that you get from basilar artery stroke? So this is locked in syndrome, right? This is a nightmare to see. Uh, basically, these people are quadriplegic, they have no voluntary facial movement, no voluntary mouth movement, no voluntary tongue movement because of that lack of corticospinal and corticobulbar tracts. They also lose horizontal movement of their eyes, again, because the PPRF is what coordinates both of your eyes to move horizontally. Um, but their vertical uh, eye movement is intact because those are coordinated separately from each other, right? Um, and because of this, they're basically quadriplegic. They can't move any of their um, limbs, anything, except for move their eyes up or down, all right? But because their RAS, or their reticular activating system, is spared, that's, that the, that's at the back of the brainstem, um, the, uh, they, they're, they're conscious. They're completely conscious, and they, they can see and hear what's going on around them. They just can't do anything about it. So that's why it's called locked-in syndrome, all right? So... The last portion of the posterior circulation uh, that we'll talk about is the posterior cerebellar artery. And this is a real uh, give me kind of give me kind of uh, stroke syndrome uh, because it supplies a very specific area. What lobe of the brain does a posterior cerebellar artery supply? So that's the occipital lobe, right? And the occipital lobe does what? So the occipital lobe governs mostly vision, right? So you have these ocular symptoms due to the occipital lobe involvement. And what kind of visual field defect is the buzzword for PCA strokes? So that's contralateral hemianopia, which means, for example, let's say like a left-sided posterior cerebral artery. 
So we have a right-sided hemianopia, which means you can't see on that side, with macular sparing. Uh, the macula or the center of the visual field is spared, so you can see that. Um, but you can't see the rest of that side. So contralateral hemianopia with macular sparing is the kind of uh, syndrome that you see with the PCS stroke. All right? So now that we've gone over some of the most common stroke syndromes, and you can recognize all of them, I want to talk very briefly about uh, treatment for ischemic stroke. It's very straightforward at the step one level. Um, if you have a patient that you're considering to have a stroke, the first thing that you want to do is get a non-contrast head CT, right? And why do we get a non-contrast head CT in the case of suspected stroke? Right, it's to rule out hemorrhagic stroke, right? Because what is the main medical therapy for stroke? That's TPA, all right, or tissue plasminogen activator. Basically, TPA serves to kind of break up those clots that could be causing ischemic stroke, but if someone was having hemorrhagic stroke, then TPA would cause them to bleed further into their brain. So the first thing that we want to do is rule out hemorrhagic stroke with non-contrast head CT, and then we can move down the pathway of ischemic stroke. So what is the window to give TPA um, safely? So that's three to four and a half hours of onset. So the symptoms have to have occurred within three to 4.5 hours of when the person presents, all right? Um, and if it's a wake-up stroke or somebody has these kind of neurological symptoms, as soon as they wake up, say they fall out of bed as soon as they wake up, then TPA is also contraindicated because we don't know when they went to bed. We don't know when during that sleep um, period the stroke actually occurred. And they also have to have no risk of hemorrhage. So they have to not be actively hemorrhaging, obviously, which is why we got the head CT. And they have to have no recent risk factors for hemorrhage, things like recent surgery, uh, being on blood thinners, uh, having like a clotting disorder like von Willebrand's disease, etc., or hemophilia, things like this. They're all contraindications to giving TPA, all right? Um, so TPA is the main medical therapy, but there are a couple limitations. Um, it only works within 3 to 4.5 hours, um, and it is not great for some types of strokes like basilar artery strokes where the clot burden is really high. So if you have what's called a LVO, or a large vessel occlusion, things like the MCA, PCA, ACA, basilar artery, um, these are all considered large vessels as opposed to small vessels, which are like any of the um, unnamed branches or even things like the lenticular striate arteries. These are all really small vessels. So if it's an LVO, or large vessel occlusion, then you can also do something called mechanical thrombectomy, which is a neurosurgical procedure where they basically go in with the wire and, and kind of suck out the clot from these vessels. So this can be done up to 24 hours after a stroke, depends on the institution, but it can be done uh, longer uh, for a time period that's greater than when you can give TPA. Um, it also has better outcomes than TPA in LVO, uh, or large vessel occlusion, but again, can only be done if the, if the clot is in a vessel that's actually reachable surgically, right? So these large vessels. Um, and then when you're discharging patient, what are the drug regimens that you want to start when you're discharging a, a patient? Right, so you want to start dual antiplatelet therapy, which means two antiplatelet drugs. So that's usually aspirin and clopidogrel, all right? So two antiplatelet drugs, as well as starting them on a statin because it's most likely that some form of atherosclerosis is what caused their stroke in the first place. 
So you want to start them on a statin uh, for uh, discharge, right? So in conclusion, what did we cover today? We covered the most common type of stroke, which is ischemic stroke. We covered what type of histological features you'll see based on the time period. We covered the basic anatomy of the circle of Willis. What are the main branches of the circle of Willis? The ACA, MCA, PCA, as well as the posterior circulation, the ICA, PICA, and the basilar artery. And we also covered the major stroke syndromes that you'll see. So MCA stroke, ACA stroke, and lenticulostriate artery strokes for the anterior circulation. Uh, PICA and ICA strokes, uh, distinguishing the two for the posterior circulation, as well as the basilar artery, PCA, and the anterior spinal artery in the posterior circulation, right? So I want you to keep in mind when you see a stroke question, again, our basic paradigm of what clinical syndromes does this person have, what areas of the brain do these clinical syndromes map to, and what vessels does, supplies that part of the brain. If you go down that pathway, you'll be able to localize any stroke that you're presented with on the step one exam. All right. Thank you all for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please subscribe to our podcast. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, visit our website at spoonfulofsugar.org and post them under the link for this episode. Good luck with studying. And remember that if you ever have an SOS moment while studying, Spoonful of Sugar is always here to help the medicine go down. Thank you so much. Mm-hmm.